I wanted to be a cardiac surgeon before. You know, it's just the, the, the dream that everyone has, especially when you start medical school, you know, oh, I'm going to be a neurosurgeon, a cardiac surgeon. At some point, I was really into cardiology. At the end of my internship, I was, I was thinking, I'm going to become a cardiologist. And I was even offered the specialty. What happens in your life just takes you to different places. And migration was a really big impact in my life. And it just made me change completely. And I, um, I value it very much. My heart is still very close to cardiology. So when I develop technology nowadays, and I am in innovating in the, in the digital health space, I'm always having a very special place for cardiology and respiratory medicine. There are instances in the middle of our career when we ask ourselves, am I in the right place? Is this truly my passion? As we progress in our medical journey, we discover more of ourselves. Our perception and interest changes. The direction that we are taking becomes different to what we want to achieve. In this episode, Dr. Jonathan shares with us how he adapted to the changes in his career. Join us and discover how he embraced his calling from being a doctor to becoming a full-time medical technology innovator. This is the podcast where ambitious and busy healthcare leaders come to build peak performance. If your play is always full, this show will help you to gain a day every week and increase revenue at least $10,000 per month. I'm your host, Sabrina Rombach, a cardiothoracic surgery PA and expert in neuroscience, psychology, and public health. Five years ago, I was in your shoes working 80 plus hours per week, putting out fires every day, and my to-do list never ended. If that's the way you're working now, you know this is not sustainable. I'm here to tell you there is a better way. I knew I had to get my life back, so I dived deep into the researches of mental fitness and productivity. After implementing the right strategies, I cut my clinical hours by 30% and increased my profit by 50%. This podcast contains stories of how I did it and how other healthcare experts are doing it too. Together, we will share with you how to get your life back. Welcome to the Powerful and Passionate Healthcare Professionals Podcast. Hello, hello, everyone. How are you? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are listening to another episode of the Powerful Passionate Healthcare Professionals Podcast. Today, we have another exciting professional here. Of course, for all you healthcare professionals out here, we know each week we bring you an expert to talk about something that's related mostly to our field and to our personal life. So this week, we have Dr. Jonathan Bringas Dimitri Dratis. I'm going to butcher that, so I'm going to make him say his own last name. And he is a Peruvian medical doctor working in the space of medical technology. And uh, he definitely made a transition. Uh, he has possessed uh, different positions as the medical director and chief medical officer. He is currently the chief medical communication officer of Finnish MedTech Newkirk and co-founder and CEO of DTX startup Lapsy Health in the Netherlands. So he is dialing in from Europe today. 
And Jonathan works in medical education and in the online medical education uh, space. And he's an ambassador for Medscape. So many of us do use Medscape quite a lot for our own education and research. Um, he works very dived into Medscape as their chief medical officer and medical affairs director. So thank you, Jonathan, for joining us today. Thank you, Sabrina. I'm not really the chief medical officer of, Medi of medical affairs director of Medscape. That's Hansa Bargaba, but I work with, with her hand-to-hand uh, -hand in, in Medscape. Amazing. Thank you for making that correction. And yes. today we really brought you in, um, the two of us connected through LinkedIn of all many different spaces. LinkedIn definitely is a place where people are more keen to want to connect, right? And make the world smaller in a way. It's very intentional to explore how many things that people are doing in this space. So I would love to hear more of your story for our listeners on how did you go from medical practice to devoting to education and technology space? Yes, so um, I, I migrated from Peru to, uh, to the Netherlands already some years ago, a little bit more than eight years ago. And um, when I finished my medical career and I started my postgraduate career and my clinical practice, I, um, at some point, um, I realized that I needed or I wanted to really create impact in, in patients' lives. And that was pretty much the premise and, the, and the, let's say the, the leadership ideal that I had for the future. And when I came to the Netherlands, I realized that here there's a lot of, uh, of developments happening in technology and technology really impacts patients' lives in a very direct way because the, the patients are pretty much in contact with technology all the time when they have, in, during their patient journey. And, um, and there's not really a lot of doctors in the, in the technology space. So I migrated little by little. I, uh, I started in, in different positions in the medical technology companies and I went climbing up the ladder until the moment when I was able to do innovation, uh, the moment when I was able to actually lead medical teams. Um, and it has been an amazing experience. It, um, it has been a different experience than the one that I originally thought I would have as a doctor when I started medical school. But for an immigrant, you know, coming to Europe, being able to achieve these opportunities and most importantly, being able to impact lives in such a way, I am also very lucky to have been able to do this in a, in a very short period of time. Uh, and of course, the COVID-19, it did pivot many careers of many doctors that were into the digital health space. Um, before we were trying to like push the agenda like really hard and like talking about telemedicine and telediagnostics and teletreatment and that people were like, oh, we don't need that. And then the COVID-19 came up and it just showed us that this is something that we really need. And this is something that can really uh, close the gaps in terms of healthcare access. So it pivoted our careers. It gave us a, a stage to, to discuss these things. It made it easier to collaborate with each other. And the results are that um, hopefully uh, more and more patients will be able to be treated and diagnosed and screened worldwide um, using uh, telemetric uh, solutions. Yes, this is such a great point that um, as we go into healthcare, what you initially thought, what your career can be, can be very much different from that initial thought because there's so many people go into each, any career with just the idea, not truly connected to what that could uh, 
mean to them in the long run? And then, so I would love to hear, even、uh, dive a little bit of that before we jump into the technology part. How different was that? What's the idea when you got into medicine, and what was the gap that when you saw it, you decided, hey, you know what? It's actually time for me to change transition into the technology side. So I, I had to recertify many times. You know, I studied in the Caribbean, and then I went to Peru, and I had to recertify in Peru, and then I recertified in Europe. So during recertification, I realized that there are, first there's a lot of different medicines. Medicine has a lot of different sides, but the technology that involves medicine is the same one. So while we could say, you know, the doctor in Brazil knows a lot about yellow fever, and the doctor in Europe knows a lot about Lyme's disease. Still, you know, two different sides of, of of let's say medicine in those countries. At the end of the day, the laboratory technician that works in the lab to、uh, to use the diagnosis and uses these machines to diagnose. These are the same ones, and、um, so technology really impacts in a very global way all the structures of medicine and a lot of different patients at the same time. And I think it wasn't until I had that realization that I really got very passionate about it. And、um, and then came digitalization of everything, right?、Um, it started very small and it it continued to grow. And then COVID nineteen pivoted it. And at that point, you know, and it, this is really really close to nowadays. I mean, it was only a, a year and a half ago. I really realized this is the space where I have to be, not only as an advocate,、um, but also as a worker. We have to really develop those tools for patients. We have to make it better for our populations and. Being in Europe, how can I really create impact in people in my own region? The only way is by delivering these digital tools that can really help them and get them close to health. And this is why and how I really got motivated、uh, to do this. I wanted to be a cardiac surgeon before. You know, it's just that the, the dream that everyone has, especially when you start medical school. You know,、oh, I'm going to be a neurosurgeon, a cardiac surgeon. At some point, I was really into cardiology. At the end of my internship, I was, I was thinking I'm going to become a cardiologist. I was even offered the specialty. What happens in your life just takes you to different places, and migration was a really big impact in my life, and it just made me change completely. And I、um, I value it very much. My heart is still very close to cardiology, so when I develop technology nowadays, and I am in innovating in the in the digital health space, I'm always having a very special place for cardiology and respiratory medicine. Yeah, that's amazing. What we got into it, and for you is that hey, I love. That migration part, and it doesn't have to be where I am. Each country, as you're saying, because the population disease process, they might be so good at one thing, but once we elevate everybody on a digital platform, then connection becomes so much easier to communicate, to share knowledge, because it's hard for us to remember everything, right? And that I know you would. Probably believe this too. I was just talking to a primary care provider, who's my client, yesterday. That it's okay that you don't know every single answer to every single problem that your patient comes in, because that's not our job to be perfect to know everything. Because we have subspecialties, we have other resources. We just need to be at a place that we're so resourceful and know. Who to ask? How to get this information? So at the end of the day, digital platform for healthcare really is to not have to bombard our mind for every single finer detail because life means so much more. And big part of it is to connect with our patients. And if we can't even see them, speak to them, how are we going to serve them at all? You're completely right. 
and and that's a little bit how I also feel about my career. At some point when you're a student, you really think I need to know everything and and you really try to push yourself, you know, and you feel ashamed when you don't know something. At a point when you become an expert, there's also an expert tool, which is knowing that you don't know everything and being able to be very frank and very honest with the people that you speak with. I don't know, but I'm going to research it. I'm going to ask about it. I'm going to read about it and I come back with an answer. I think that it is a really good quality of a person that has the way in, let's say, good cultural communication to also be able to um, accept whenever they don't know something and always come back with an answer later on. Each one of us is in a different environment and we create our own reality. Epidemiology of a disease varies based on location, culture, and community. The treatment of each disease might also vary based on available resources. The point is, you have to adapt to wherever you are and create solutions to fill the gaps. There might be a chance that your calling is to fulfill those shortcomings in your area. Just like what Dr. Jonathan did where he addressed the common problem in his community. If you're enjoying our discussion, please share this episode with friends and colleagues who will also enjoy this episode. They will appreciate you for thinking of their growth. Now, let's get back to the rest of our show. Yeah, I think the other good thing that you brought up is also on the side of we have an idea what specialty we got into, right? It just like, oh, this looks so cool. Now I got into cardiothoracic surgery. Part of it is that and part of it just nothing really excited me except doing surgery. And but what we did understand is that intensity of those specialty, those positions. Right. Every single clinic hospital runs differently, but the intensity doesn't quite decrease so much unless it takes someone, the innovators, to put ourselves or inspire other people to work slightly differently. So for you to go beyond just clinical medicine, I think it's very inspirational for many people out there who felt like I'm stressed out. Yes, I have this great position, but is that something that can sustain me for the next 5, 10, 20 years of my career? Or can I do something more that I'm connected to? Just like um, Jonathan, you're sharing with us. You saw this gap. You, you actually want to be able to serve the European community better now that you transition to the Netherlands. And you th- saw technology is one way. So yeah, share with us a little bit more on um, what have you been able to achieve so far or what are other exciting projects that you have with creating better healthcare equality? Definitely. So before that, I'm just let me just say one thing about what you just said that I really liked is you said that as doctors or medical professionals, we um, we sometimes don't see outside of the mold. And that's really something that I've been told by many of my friends that graduated, graduated with me uh, from med school. And they are like, Jonathan, you did this, you're doing this. And um, I really want to do this as well, you know, or um, I would like to do something else. Like I always thought, and they always thought that, you know, they have this path that is basically medical uh, school and then specialty and then working at a hospital or a clinic and then retirement and they're like but i see what you're doing and i see what other doctors in the field like uh, daniel Kraft and russell crossman uh you know they're doing as well in other fields 
which is technology, and they are bringing a lot of collaboration and communications to that space. And I would like to do something like that. And I think there's a lot of space for doctors in, in entrepreneurship. There's a lot of space for doctors in innovation. There's a lot of space for doctors in medical education. It's about really getting some mentorship from people that are in that field for some time. And then, of course, you know, finding your own path within all these other out-of-the-box spaces. And that being said, uh, I've uh, been working uh, nowadays with wearable devices. I started working with wearable devices in in the space, of course, of cardiology. And and I migrated from them to the more generic wearable devices, which were basically a little bit of everything, vital sign monitoring. Lately, I've been involved in uh, in several projects. One of them is Nukute from uh, Finland. What we do there is we created a wearable device that um, looks like a collar, goes around your neck, and it can um, monitor your tracheal breathing sounds, and it can detect and, and diagnose sleep apnea um, in patients in a very, let's call it patient-centric and uh, disposable less way that uh, makes it very comfortable for patients and just makes it very accessible. You can do it from your home and uh, everything is done in the cloud. So it, it's part of the digital health transformation movement, and um, I'm very excited about it. And then I'm also in um, in the position of a co-founder of a DTX company in pediatric asthma. And basically what we're doing there is we're creating interventions in the moments when identification of a crisis or a medication uh, management is being uh, weak because the patient is a child. And we're just understanding the um, that perspective from the, let's call it the um, behavioral perspective of the child and how we can actually modify that to enhance the medication regime and the efficacy of that medication regime in severe, moderate to severe uh, pediatric asthma patients. Wow, this is awesome because we know sleep apnea definitely tied back to your uh, cardiac disease, right? We know it's making our heart work so much harder and make heart failure patient even worse in condition. But the sleep study just to test sleep apnea is horrible. When you go to the lab and then hours, right? It like How can people even sleep in those labs? I don't even they know. Can't. They can't. <laughs> so it's not realistic to test people no. in those environments instead of wearing something just like more like a necklace at their own home and data is transmitted to the cloud and to report back to the company or the whichever doctor is interpreting. That's amazing. Yes, yeah. and and of course it's um uh, it, it also brings a little bit closer some population uh, of patients that really are a little bit more reluctant to go to the doctor. Um, uh, we know that there are, for instance, if you if you go to, into um, Southeast Asia, some areas in Latin America, or even the African American community in the U.S., um, some populations are reluctant to go to the doctor as much as other ones, and that's fine. That's cultural. That's part of their of their identity. So instead of pushing them to go to the doctor or just ignoring them, we can allow them to be a little bit more empowered. You know, then there's an entire concept of patient empowerment and i think that's really what what we are looking forward in in this and um and then the patient can actually see the insights of their own health and decide the moment that they really need an intervention uh but you're not going to go from being reluctant to go to the doctor to get into a polysomnographic clinic that's not going to happen you know you go from nothing to staying a night in a place full of cables up, uh, you know, and having to sleep there, it's like, I don't think that's going to happen. And I and speak with many different uh, sleep professionals and people at the, at the American Sleep Apnea Association, in Europe from the ERS, 
um, we we all conclude that this is true. Um, this is one of the big say burdens of of the sleep apnea is the lack of testing and the lack of diagnostics. And until we really can test more people, we're not going to be able to know how many people actually have sleep apnea in the world and what the consequences are of this sleep apnea. I realistic sometimes when we're thinking about medical diagnosing and putting people into a certain tough position, it's hard for people to engage. And uh, you found a, a area to test people for sleep apnea, which sleep labs are not really doing a good job. And we are having many different population, right? You mentioned this um, people in Latin America, some African American, even Asians, um, the perception of seeing a doctor and seems to be like, oh, it's such a hassle. Oh, do I have insurance to cover me? How much then they're going to charge me for whatever lab testing um, that I have to do? And instead of now, we're thinking, how do we gap? Uh, sorry, break bridge that gap so we can be closer to people and give them the better experience so they can do it at home and not feeling like oh, I have to take time off work and then I have to wait for hours at a doctor's office before to get seen. Yes, so that's that exactly that's what we are looking for and um and that's what we are trying to do in the in the company basically just uh, bridging that gap and um allowing to get to deliver more access to people. Um, to healthcare, to diagnostics. As I said before, there's a big problem in um, really estimating how many people have sleep apnea um, because there's not enough testing and there's not enough diagnostics. So if we don't really know how big the situation is and how you know how important is it uh, actually, how the magnitude of the real situation, there there are many things that we're not going to be able to. Um, prevent and if we think about sleep apnea we also think about all the consequences that are already being documented in, in many researches um, from diabetes to um, you know heart failure hypertension um, to atrial fibrillation we really have to be conscious of uh, all the comorbidities that come with sleep apnea or the sleep apnea comes with and it's important that so this is this is why it's so important to actually do the correct testing and really stay, uh, establish that the magnitude, the dimension of the problem worldwide. Um, so that's what we're doing. And we're really happy to be collaborating and impacting so many people's lives. Which is amazing. And then you also pivoted into the area of asthma treatment, right? Like early detection. So um, kids or even adults don't, in, don't go into those crisis situation where they have to rush into the ER and uh, definitely like it would reduce the ER busyness emission so which is awesome where do you see yourself go from here what we envisioned life to be initially might change over time our environment culture friends and family and colleagues influence the goals that we had when we were in graduate school we might take a different path but still relate to healthcare after working in the field for a period of time our interests might not be the same as what we wanted years or even months ago. We might also get new ideas which provide new opportunities. We will have to go outside of our comfort zone if we want to upgrade our current status. We will have to believe in our ability to explore these opportunities and find solutions. 
when this happens, embrace these changes and enjoy exciting novelties in life. Um, I'm really liking the space of digital therapeutics. Um, so I'm hoping that I can continue to pivot digital therapeutics um, into the into more clinical practices. Just what you said about pediatric asthma, you know, you think about it, like 2 million doctor consultations, GP consultations, only in the United States a year, only in children. You know, if you think about how much a clinical consultation costs in the U.S., which is 100 euros, converted to euros, without anything else, so forget about medication or the anything that was done during the consultation, only how much that costs. We're talking about 200 million euros. For the insurances and for, and for the cost of healthcare is tremendous. And for the impact and the socioeconomic impact of those children is even more. It has an even a bigger magnitude. Um, so I think for us, it's very important that whenever we pivot into um, healthcare, we do it in the in, in the right segments, you know, the segments that are underserved, that need more testing, that need more diagnostics, that need more developments. Uh, we're talking about pediatrics, women healthcare. Those things are really important. There's not a lot of people taking care of that. And um, when I see myself creating more digital tools in the future, I see myself doing it for those populations. Latinos, women, children, that's my, uh, my passion. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that and sharing your passion with the rest of us. Um, so people can really connect with you when they have similar interests, really, in this space of healthcare. It can be so many of us are in it, but it can be very small when you think, just like you're saying, many people want to do more. But how can we be courageous to get into that next step on which you have shown us for everybody else who's listening? Maybe there is some gap in your specific community and you want to do something about it, then test it out, right? And we, what is the true problem that people are seeing? What kind of result you can bring to them, whether it's a product, whether it's a different way of education or training program and just have a bunch of people show them your protocol and do something that will enlighten you and keep that excitement, keep going in your life where it shouldn't be just defined by that one title we got when we start yeah. our journey in our career. There's so many more things because you mean more and the world really need all of us to step up. Um, so I know it's hard for us to be an expert in everything because like you, you're an uh, amazing person to build communities and dive into medical technology. That's definitely not where my brain can be. But it's also hard for us to be able to be the expert in all area of our life. We know that change is something that we cannot prevent. The only constant in life is change. We also know that differences in our environment are normal. As medical professionals, we might face different challenges because of these external variations. There are also cases that we do not know what we're up against. However, we cannot limit ourselves to what we are used to. We have to step outside of our comfort zones to deal with these problems. Don't be afraid to expand your boundaries because these are opportunities for improvement. Who knows? These new discoveries 
can be your true calling. Uh, I'm a big component of stop seeking balance, but create harmony in your life. So all our speakers take a quick assessment on their whole life. Jonathan, when you saw that result or when you're even taking the assessment, what are some thoughts that pop up in your mind? Um, I think there's a lot of, uh, of things that we don't really understand of ourselves. You know, um, we we are constantly busy and, and focused on work. And sometimes we lose other ties of our of our personal uh, experience that are very important to bring and to give us balance, whether it is family life, uh, whether it is um, hobbies, happiness, um, you know. I think that um, every person that is in, in the position where I am, for instance, which is your, your uh, let's call me a young adult or middle age, you can call me the way you want. But like a person that, that is in this, in this life, in this age, and you're having young kids, and you also have all these responsibilities that you're building and the responsibility of building technology for so many people. Sometimes you forget a little bit of taking care of yourself. And, um, and that's really, really important. And I think that I'm really like lacking on that a lot. So um, this is one of those things that when I see these results and I see um, what it actually means, and um, I, I really have to like put a little bit more emphasis in that as well. You know, maybe take, taking a little bit less projects would be a great uh, a great start. Yeah, awesome, right? I, I think in healthcare we're such givers. And we're taught to be that way, to make sure everyone, your patient's taken care of, your staff is on track. And, and then why do we work so hard? It's for our family, right? Like everything is pouring out. And that at the same time, people are going to want to collaborate with you when you're doing great work. And then you feel like, oh, that seemed to be interesting. And all these things that seem to be interesting, then start going, yes, 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 yes. I we don't even know when to say no anymore. Uh, it's hard for us to say no. Then we're like, ooh, do they not going to ask you to work with them anymore? Right? Like all these questions and kind of bombard us into a space. Uh, but then the, the less, the more we get clear on uh, what it truly defines us as a human being, what the value we want, what is the ultimate success look like, freedom look like, family love relationship look like, then we can be easier to say no in our life. Um, so I appreciate you sharing your awesome stories, inspirational and your technology. I'm sure people are going to be very interested in the things that you have created because it's definitely something that we can adapt into our subspecialty more. Um, not only the uh, people who are in pulmonary and cardiology, primary care, right? Internal medicine. There's so many things, uh, endocrine, right? As you mentioned, there's so many different subspecialty are tied into uh, sleep apnea and asthma. So how can people find you and read up more about the technology or they just wanted to contact you personally? So I'm usually um, uh, pretty much active on LinkedIn and Twitter. I think that you can find me, uh, we probably will put it on the, on your post, but I just, uh, you know, look for my name on LinkedIn. You will find me immediately and also on Twitter and, um, you know, connect with me. If you have any questions, if you have any, um, do you need any advice in terms of, uh, regulatory affairs, uh, medical innovation, implementation of medical technologies in, in, in the clinical practice, 
you know, or you would just like to know a little bit more about what I'm doing and what the products that we are developing are, just uh, go ahead and send me a message. Perfect. Thanks you for your generosity and thanks everyone. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Azar, if you're like me, who just want to get to the bottom, find out what's going on in your private practice, then I invite you to book a complimentary diagnostic consultation call with me. You can check my availability at sabrinarumbach.com forward slash blueprint to find out a time that works for you. This is especially beneficial for you if you have an established clinic but now feel drained or unable to live up to your full potential. She really gets the conversation. She understands she's an incredible listener. We were talking about worthiness and she really understands the concept of it, how it affects people in their businesses, in their clinics, in, in their daily life, in their relationships. So I just want to encourage you to jump on board and start listening to this woman because she has so much insight and wisdom that you don't want to miss out. Take an opportunity to meet with and talk with Sabrina. She's just a wealth of information and powerful results. And it, it for myself, just to be able to reflect and see what she's created by her forms and processes is amazing. I can't uh, emphasize enough, it's time well spent and uh, money well invested. And so take the time, invest in yourself. My experience is really, really unique. Everything I've learned and she's taught has been applied at different levels and portions of my life. And I feel like I can continue to uh, grow and develop these skills in the future. So I was able to do the one-on-ones as well as the group sessions with Sabrina and both had some really impactful things to teach me. There were a lot of things in there. I look at the chart of the desire zone because I was taking on too many things. I was doing too many things outside of my desire zone and that allowed me to hone things back into the direction where they should be. What were some other things that we, our first call that we ever had, there was a quote that you made, you gave me from the Dalai Lama. And these are simple things I did, but it was by gratitude. And it hit me at that time because I'd forgotten to be grateful about what has been built. You know, everybody around me that sees what we're doing or you know, sees what I'm doing here, my peers and colleagues, they're very grateful for what I've been doing. They're like, oh, this is great. You know, we'd love to be in the position that I'm in and I forget that, but I forgot it. Don't you agree? If you don't allow a pair of unbiased eyes to take a look, you will never know what you don't know. This is your chance to get time back and be a peak performing healthcare leader again.